dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the bellboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here tonight Hello everyone and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep in the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you this afternoon, Meryl McNally? I am excellent. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Here we are a few months later, a few months older. <laughs> Truth. We're ready but to like, talk some Meryl. Yeah. We've been through the holidays. It's a new year. Yeah. So, yeah. Fresh, fresh and raring to go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, as we always do, before we dive in, if you don't want to hear us ramble about other stuff, probably Oscar stuff, I'll put a time code in the, in the show notes for when we actually start with the Merrill content. But in the meantime, uh, what else have you seen and, uh, what else has been interesting? Well, right before we got on, I asked, uh, first of all, I had to ask you which film we last reviewed <laughs> <laughs> because I couldn't remember and then, um, couldn't remember when. And it was October, right? Yeah. Late October. It's, Late October. In a second. I have seen, I feel like I've seen so much. I saw so many screenings in the fall. I have a, a fantastic friend, shout out Angie, who is a member of the PGA. And so she's kind enough to invite me to screenings. And so I took in as much as I could. So I'll just like give you a laundry list. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, I might have seen some of these before we last recorded. I can't remember. Right. What we talked about and what we didn't. I can listen. Right. I might repeat myself. Please yeah. forgive. <laughs> um, I saw The Whale. I saw After Sun. I saw Lady Chatterley's Lover for Netflix. Mm-hmm. I saw My Policeman. I feel like I saw so much. Oh, I am currently watching 1923. Uh, on Paramount. Right. Sir Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren. Oh, RRR on Netflix. Delightful. Highly recommend. Yeah, so that's like, that's like a sampling. I will say I, I'm reasonably confident I'm talking like 98th percentile that you have not talked about any of that. I really don't remember <laughs> talking about any of those. So I'd be... Gotcha. I'd be most curious about The Whale just because of the Oscar uh, possibilities there and because there's been a little bit of pushback on it, also a lot of love for it. What was your take on it? I have not seen it. It is truly beautifully written. Um, you can you can definitely see its roots in theater. It For those who don't know, it was originally a, a play. And um, the, the playwright... Sam Hunter adapted it for film and and he it's beautiful. Brendan Fraser's performance is beautiful. It is really beautiful. I feel very similarly to sort of the general consensus in that perhaps Darren Aronofsky was not the right person <laughs> to have that material. Sure. Um and I I think I think the film has paid for it. In, in terms of not nominations and such. Although I think, I think Brendan Fraser, I think he may have, I don't know. I think he may have a, a leg up on Austin Butler. I, I think he, I think he's going to win. My, um, the projections that I've seen 
think he will win. And actually, yeah. it's... It, it will be very well-deserved. It's a beautiful performance. Yeah. I think one of the things that matters, not matters, but, like, factors in more at the Academy Awards than, say, the Golden Globes or, you know, any of the other ones is, like, it's a lot of times the career award. It's a longevity award, and Austin Butler's pretty brand new. Not completely brand new, but much yeah. newer. Brent, I'm not, I, again, I haven't even seen the movie, so I'm not saying Brendan Fraser is less deserving than Austin Butler in any way, shape, or form. What I'm saying is there's this kind of uh, appreciation for him now um, that's that, to me, seems likely to be... It's funny, too, because I always feel like in the supporting categories, the, the Academy likes to go for, like, the young ingenue like i feel like you know jennifer hudson winning it like so many young uh people kind of win in the supporting but it's almost like the actor and actress a lot of times end up going for the career and so i almost wonder too if like if it's not brendan fraser is it colin farrell instead of austin butler you know what i mean colin farrell's another guy who like i, I mean oh, he, i saw that movie too that and one we talked a- about yeah, okay. yeah, that one we talked about, I think. Or I have a vague memory of us talking about it. But um, with with that one, too, like, Colin Farrell is such a, like, character in real life that, like, you know, like, some people like and some people don't like. Especially now, he's a lot he's a lot easier to tolerate than he was when he was sort of, like, you know, had his arm around Britney Spears and it felt a little weird. Um, <laughs> but... Oh, totally. But, you know, uh, he's been putting in some, you know, pretty could work in a lot of films for the last 20 years so you know like you know i wouldn't be surprised if he won either so anyway i didn't mean to cut you off but no no not at all not at all yeah i mean i i would i, I would recommend anybody see the whale who who is interested i think i think what i found interesting about the direction is that the, the play itself i think requires requires deep compassion mm-hmm. and and empathy and um, really an inability and s- to step back and not judge the main character. Yeah. Um, and it almost felt like the direction was a, it was almost like a psychological blind spot. Like there was, there was just a- almost accidentally so much <laughs> judgment in the choice of, of film angles and lenses and close-ups and mm. like, the music like sometimes the music felt like you were watching a horror film which just felt very inappropriate you know again this is not a um this is a little bit of a tangent but all i can think of is like the last darren aronofsky movie that i saw in the theater anyway was mother the jennifer lawrence one that he directed that was him right yeah it was and i i never did see it it, I mean, I felt like I was being tortured in that movie. It was just, it was so astoundingly hard to swallow. And it just like, it was just like this thing that was happening to you in the same way that like Requiem from a Dream, a lot of people feel that way about that movie too. Um, that I just, I don't know. I really, he's he's maybe the one director at this point who like, I would really like question going to see at least in the theater um one of his movies only because of him i can't think of another director who i'd be like oh i don't know if i want to like it's just his movies to me are so hard to take he's associated with that now you know yeah 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 100 percent um i think this is i think this is in some ways right in line with that well it's not an easy watch yeah 
I I'm I won't say excited to watch it, but um, I am so curious about it just because of all the acclaim. I mean, I'm sure it's an amazing, amazing performance. And I, from what I've heard, the supporting cast, Sadie Sink, and you know everybody else in the film, I've heard is wonderful too. So um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, um, they they are. It's I mean, really, it it's it's worth it's worth it for the writing and the performances alone. Um, Brendan Fraser really is so, so good in it. Mm-hmm. it it's really a great performance. <clears throat> and it's nice to see somebody like him um, kind of like welcomed back in such a way. He's somebody who I just, I hadn't thought of. And I think that's kind of how all of us felt like, you know, yeah. outside of the mummy movies and like gods and monsters. And was he in Crash? He was in Crash too, wasn't he? Was he? I feel like he's in Crash. I blocked that one out. Yeah, I know a lot of people. Not that long ago, um, they did a a television version remake of um, three uh, three days of the Condor. Oh sure. Do you remember that Robert Redford movie? Oh yeah. They remade it with Max Irons, Jeremy Ironson. Uh huh. And um, you know what? It was very weird. It like aired. DirecTV had its own channel uh-huh. and it aired through DirecTV and then I they, there were two subsequent seasons and I um, you know I'm I may have gotten my hands on them and in, in various suspect ways but <laughs> I I watched it but and it, I I don't think he's in subsequent seasons but he's in that first season he's the bad guy interesting well, and, and I was like Fraser, where have you been? Yeah, he was on a season or maybe two of The Affair, too, on Showtime. Oh, yeah. He was doing, you know what, I think he was just sort of quietly doing just excellent character work, which yeah. he always supplemented with. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm so I'm so glad this opportunity came along and he's getting recognition for it. I, I think he's... You know, from from what I know, he's universally loved and yeah, and respected and yeah, and that's I did get to see a Q and A with him. With, yes, and he was he was lovely. Yeah, it. I mean, I think that's another thing that the Academy loves. Academy loves is a story like that. It's not really a comeback, but it's kind of a comeback. You know, like any yeah. opportunity to have that sort of moment, especially in a year. I, I mean, I guess you could say this for the last four or five years, but like the way Hollywood is kind of going right now with like struggling to tell, you know, like to sell tickets to anything that's not a Marvel movie, essentially, or or Top Gun, right. um, you know, like it's just the movies are changing big time. And so, you know, I don't know. It's a it's a really interesting time in uh, cinema. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see which direction these races go it's funny too because with the oscars which we can talk about in a in a moment um yeah uh it feels like that supporting actor and actress are really sewn up it feels like uh those two you know angela bassett's gonna win it feels like we know who's gonna win each of those um but both best actor and best actress it feels like it's between like two or maybe three of the candidates you know like it seems like well we know it's one of these two in both those categories. But a lot of years it feels like that's flipped where like we know who the best actor and best actress will be, but we don't know the supporting. Yeah. That's yeah, interesting. I, I love that there's, you know, an actual, an actual race happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm, I'm like, I obviously adore Kate Blanchett. Just like think she's so amazing. And I haven't seen Tar yet. Mm. Um, but I'm just so rooting for Michelle. Yeah. Are you? See, and I'm, I'm the yeah. opposite of you in the sense that I have seen Tar which was one of the ones I was going to talk about, but I've not yet seen everything everywhere all at once, which is a crying shame. I, I, I've, I'm waiting to see that one. I don't know what is holding me up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited to see it. Um, Kate Blanchett is so damn good in tar. She's so, so good in tar. I mean, I think it's hers. Think so? And unless, unless the Academy really takes, sort of the same route with best actress as they uh, clearly are going to with, with best actor. I think like if it, I mean, talk about somebody who has put in their time yeah. and just delivered stellar performance after stellar performance and has, has, you know, to some degree gone unrecognized for so long. Like right. I feel, I feel like it's Michelle Yeoh's hour yeah. and Blanchett has won twice before. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. That performance is, is I don't know. so good, yeah. I mean, I don't even need to see it to know I'm sure she kills it. I, I would also say um, that would could easily be uh, one of the Meryl movies I wish she was in because, you know, like she would have been phenomenal in this movie too. It really is. The movie itself is quite interesting too. I've, I think it's one of those films that a lot of people are... Um, you know, kind of talking about like, you know, this incredible performance and kind of a, not a, not a middle of the road movie, but like, you know, I don't think everybody is insanely in love with Tar. I think some people are and some people just don't kind of get it. It's a slower paced, uh, film, I think. And, uh, I, I just, I really, I really loved the movie. I thought it was really, really great. So that's to me a highlight. Um, I didn't mean to, I, I was going to do one more, but I also don't feel like I gave you the allotted time. Did you want to talk about anything else that you've seen? No, no, we're like in an organic flow. I love it. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> well, the, the other one that I saw in the theater, um, and again, as is always the case, I, my nephew wanted to see it. So I took him and I was shocked how much I loved this movie, um, was, uh, Avatar, the new Avatar. I'm sorry, I laughed. <laughs> Is that an unexpected choice? Uh, yeah. I mean, it yes shocked me and, too. And no, I, I mean, obviously, millions of people love right. James Cameron's movies. This is. Is why it's the top one of the top grossing movies of all time. Right? Is it? Hasn't it already? Like, or just for this year? No, it's it's like top ten of all time now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I just. I won't touch it with a 30-foot pole. That one's all yours. Is it because it's James Cameron? <laughs> I didn't even see the first one. Sure. I'm still so irritated about Titanic. I <laughs> And when I saw the preview for the first Avatar, it truly was Fern Gully meets Last of the Mohicans. Right. I just... And, and then, of course, the reviews came out, and they were like, well, this is weak on story, but the special effects, oh, my God. And then it sort of faded into oblivion. Yeah. 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 I've never, I can't think of a movie that was so huge. I mean, that movie was literally, like, the highest grossing movie of all time for a period of time. I know it's not yeah. anymore. And it feels like nobody talked about it for, like, a decade. It was just this, like, yeah. thing that happened, and everybody, like, went to see it. And then because we just moved up. The story's not there. Exactly. Okay, so here's here's what I want to say about the second one. I don't remember the first one like at all. 
Okay. I, I mean, I saw it in the theater and remember thinking, oh, wow, cool, special effects, exactly what you just said. I I, I mean, it's, it's kind of shameful to say this, but, you know, like... We, I went to see this in the, like, again, it wasn't IMAX. It was like an ultra screen, but the 3D version, without oh, a doubt, without a doubt in my mind, it is the best use of 3D I've ever seen. It is the most stunning visual. I mean, it was just, like, completely overwhelming how extraordinary it was. But you are exactly right. And everything you said about the first movie also applies to the second. There is better story in this one, I think. I mean, like, it's okay. But it's yeah. not the thing that's going to hook you. The thing that's going to hook you are the visual effects, which are second to none. I mean, unbelievable. I think this is one of those movies that, like, it's why you go see a movie in the theater in some ways, as, like, lame as that sounds. It was just, I was stunned by how, like, just beautiful the film yeah. was to watch. But again, that story is, the story is there. It's not that it's not there, but... You know, I feel like in a couple years, I won't feel as strongly about it. You know, it's just like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so, so, so beautiful. But I think the fact that, like, it's already sort of like, I mean, it's funny because I don't feel like I hear anybody talking about Avatar. And yet, like you say, you know, it's it's top 10 movies ever made. Everybody's going. But nobody's really talking about it. It's not interesting enough to critique it or talk about it. It's so beautiful, yeah. but also, like, I don't know. I don't know what else you do with it, but... Yeah. 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 I don't so, even know. I, I probably won't go. I mean, I love a spectacle, right? Like, yeah. Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> Loved it so much. Yeah. <laughs> but it, the story's there. Right. You know? I mean, it's a little schmaltzy and a little unrealistic, but it's, it's got some heart. Absolutely. And uh, I just, like seriously i was so mad at him after titanic i was like you spent millions and mil- i've said this before so everyone t- gets to hear me get on my soapbox again <laughs> you spent gazillions of dollars replicating the titanic building this beautiful set casting these beautiful people and then you write the worst dribble of a story to the point where I mean, I guess I appreciate it for the cultural jokes. Did you see that James Cameron actually did a I, study yeah. to see if Jack could actually fit on the door? Yeah. And he could have, but he would have lessened their chances of survival. <laughs> I mean, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um on another, like, I can talk about it in two seconds thing, uh, my nephew, I think, I don't think I had seen this the last time we talked, but we also went to see the uh, Dwayne Johnson entry into the Marvel world, uh, Black Adam. Oh, how was that? Um, I did not enjoy. <laughs> Your face. Oh, man, if everyone could see his face. <laughs> I I will say, you know, I feel the same way about it that, I mean, again, you want to talk about our, our listeners being tired of us saying the same thing. Uh, it's just not for me, that film. You know what I mean? I, I didn't hate it by any stretch. It was interesting. But you want to talk about a movie that has no story. Like, could I describe this movie in any way to you? No. As far as I remember, it was just a bunch of fighting in the clouds. Like, you know, uh, that's it. Well, he got booted. He got booted from the DC universe. Oh, I didn't know that. that. I did not know that. Wait, so it was DC, it wasn't Marvel? I don't even know these things. Yeah, so, (laughs) oh God, and I'm not the best person to speak on this. Just, you know, PSA, not an expert. Um, 
but um, I do read, there's this fantastic blog, Laney Gossip. Everybody read it. It's delightful. And they sort of keep abreast of the comic book movie adaptations and what's going on with the two studios. And um, they they hired, oh, but I'm not an expert. Somebody gun, gun, James Gunn, Tim Gunn, not Tim Gunn. <laughs> That's the Project Runway guy. Oh, man, if Tim Gunn directed a movie, I'd be there. <laughs> I would be there for that <laughs> <Maybe> one. <better. laughs> anyway, they hired a new team to run the DC universe. Sure. And just prior to announcing their leadership, they went to Henry Cavill and they said, we're finally going to do your Superman sequel. Go ahead and announce it. He announced it. He stepped out of the Witcher, which is a huge hit for him. And, um, and then they brought in these two new guys who just wiped everything off the board hmm. with the exception of Ezra Miller as the flash who is so problematic, who has been arrested and accused of abuse and all sorts of things. And he's like the one they're keeping on the slate. Sure. And they, they axed black Adam with, um, with the rock. They axed Henry Cavill as Superman. They're sort of going, I think they're going back to the drawing board. Their plan is to, like, I think do more origin story stuff. Who knows? But I think they plan to tie everything together, like the Marvel Universe is doing, which is honestly very difficult and a very bad idea. It's yeah. just, like, talk about strapping your creativity, but yeah. whatever. They didn't ask me. And I actually don't care that much because... I I have never seen a Flash movie. I think I saw the Superman movie, maybe. Never saw the Justice League. I did see the Wonder Woman movies. Sure. I don't remember anything about them except go Wonder Woman. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I could just I never saw Aquaman. I I don't I don't care. Hmm. And I gave up on Marvel too. I don't I don't really consume much marvel anything anymore except black panther yeah that was what's happening in the dc universe yeah thank you yeah um so it since last we spoke there have been some uh award shows did you by the way did you watch the golden globes no sorry it took me a second i like <laughs> did i <laughs> i know i know and you know what i didn't even watch clips Oh, really? I watched Kiwi, I, I watched Kiwi Kwan's speech and Michelle Yeoh's. And I think that's it. Mm. Um, you watch? I did watch. I didn't watch it live. To tell you the truth, I didn't even know it was on when it was on. It was like on a Tuesday night. Yeah, Monday, Tuesday night. It was wild. It always, I mean, I feel like there was a period of time where it was like Sunday or Monday. But I, I think this year it was on a Tuesday, which felt really odd to me. Also, that feels harder for actors in some ways. Like, if they're filming something, that feels like a really prohibitive day to, like, get out of, you know, scheduling everybody. But um, uh, it doesn't... The only thing that I want to mention was how much I really did not enjoy the host. Um, I don't know what his name was, but he seemed to be, like, just be... He did the, like, Ricky Gervais, like, make everybody uncomfortable thing. Yeah. I... Like, is this just what we're doing now? Like, tell telling people to like go fuck themselves. Like, I don't, I don't get it. It's not. I mean, 
There was a time and place for that, I suppose. I, I, I feel like, I feel like post pandemic, we just, we just, we just all need to be a little more friendly. Yeah. This, <laughs> I, 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 I always have like, I mean, I'm not a super fan of Ricky Gervais by any, by any stretch, but like, I've always found him like funny and at the very least interesting. Um, I should look up what this guy's name was. I I hadn't heard of him before, but it just sort of seemed like really aloof and too cool for school in a way that sort of like, okay, if that's your persona, I guess so, you know, whatever. But he also like in his monologue referred to the producer calling him and telling him you're the, you're the voice of a generation. I'm sorry. Like you don't do that. Sorry. That's just, Oh, <laughs> You don't like get to do that and then act like it's beneath you to do this, you know? I mean, it might have been beneath him in a way, like, you know, the the issues that the Hollywood foreign press has had in terms of uh, representation, I understand. But also, like, I don't know, it just felt like his whole thing. And he made some like really, really tasteless jokes for the sake of making tasteless jokes. Like he made a, you know, he made a joke about it being the hotel where Whitney Houston died. And he, I, there were a couple other ones where oh. he just like, there was, it's not really like, that's not funny. That's not even funny. That's I not know. a joke. That's I just cruel. And that's what it felt like all the time was this like, oh, the other thing he did that really annoyed me was he, he had to do it at least six or seven times. He would get annoyed and tell the room to be quiet. So like when it would come back from commercial, he'd be like, hey, everybody quiet down. No, quiet down. And it was like, okay, I get it once maybe, but like, you just got to keep going. Like it's not reading that loud on TV and that's who you're playing for. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It like was not just, quite understanding the camera live audience. Yeah. And also just Very feeling cool. like he had this, it really felt like a massive ego to me of like this, like you pay attention to me, I'm speaking kind of thing. And it was like, I don't know. This is, I was not a fan of the host, but, um, yeah, the show itself, I, I just watched the replay of it. It was on Peacock. And so I just watched it in like, um, small, you know, snippets, yeah, 20 yeah. minutes snippets, but I did see, I, you know what? I did see him. I did see him make the joke about, um, trading Tom Cruise's returned golden globes for Shelly Miscavige. And I was like, well done, sir. That one I liked <laughs> that one. I'm all about, <laughs> I was like, yep, yep. <laughs> See, I <laughs> guess played. I guess that's it is like he kind of he kind of came in with this energy of like I'm going to shock everybody and like a couple a couple well-placed things like that really work. But also like you're taking on Scientology. You're not just like and Scientology is deeply problematic. You're not just like telling a bunch of people that like you're you're too good to be there, but you know, like also, why did you take the gig in the first place if you feel that way? Like, it's just, a, right. you know, layers of, of I don't understand. Oh, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, no, no real surprises at the Golden Globes. But um, there have been other like any any uh, Academy Award nominations surprise you at all? I I did not see Blonde, but I, I guess I'm not surprised Anna, Anna Diarmas got nominated. I think that category in general is interesting because I haven't seen the Fablemans yet. It's my understanding that Michelle Michelle Williams' role could have also easily been in the supporting actor care category. Right. And then, you know, obviously there was quite a bunch of 
hubbub about Viola Davis in in the Woman King and Danielle uh, Deedwalish performance in Tiller, and they both, you know, were excluded. Um, right. And then, of course, Andrea Riseborough's surprise surprise nomination. Like literally three weeks before nominations were announced, there was just a social media campaign from very famous actors, you know, praising her performance. And, um, you know, it was a small independent movie. Listen, Andrew Riseborough, I have not seen to Leslie. I have been following her since she was a very young actress because she stood out to me as so talented. And she consistently transforms herself. She's essentially a character actress. Because she transforms herself so deeply for these roles, you don't even realize you've been watching Andrea Riseborough for years. Right, absolutely. <laughs> because she's so different. And so I um, I have no doubt she's brilliant into Leslie, and I'm actually really excited for her that that went down that way. Um, but then, you know, for those of you who don't know, most of you probably do, the Academy Awards um, launched an investigation because of the way the social media campaign happened i think and there may have been some direct solicitation of voters which you're not supposed to do under the rules um by the producers and um so it it got investigated yeah so i've read a couple of pieces on this i also have not seen the film um but i have seen many of you know jane fonda and um, rosanna arquette and a lot of other um a lot of other very famous actresses in particular actresses, which I thought was interesting, like a lot of women supporting and lifting up another woman, which was kind of cool to see Jennifer Aniston and Charlize Theron and Gwyneth Paltrow. And, you know, like a lot of pretty significant A-listers were really out there campaigning for her. Um, And, you know, I think it's cool. I've, I've heard of that happening before. I remember Javier Bardem before he was, you know, a pretty significant star. He, he was in some movie, I think it was, I don't remember which one it was, but I remember Julia Roberts kind of launching a campaign um, on his behalf. And it's, again, it's cool to see, again, just women lifting up another woman. It, it felt like non-competitive in a cool way. Um, the So the couple of uh, pieces that I read, one was just kind of pointing out the ickiness in some ways of like, you know, her, uh, her spot then meant that there were, you know, at least one, maybe two um, actresses of color left on the sidelines. And the the point was, you know, like if you have these kinds of like uh, campaigns, you already have something of a, of an established cred within the industry. And basically like, it's only white people who are, uh, who are kind of in line to get those sorts of like opportunities. And uh, I, I don't know, I, I'm not, I'm not phrasing it well at all, but it, it came down to like, the racial implications of it that like, you know, no, nobody's been out there doing that for Viola Davis. Even with established Oscar campaigns behind the woman King and I believe Tiller as well, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't privy to, and I don't think it happened either of those actresses getting the sort of grassroots support that Andrea Riseborough got just in those last few weeks. And, and, um, I think that, that makes everyone pause. It's like, why, why, right. why, why wasn't Danielle getting the same amount of, if, and it, the truth is, is it wasn't, it clearly wasn't just an organic accident. There was a deliberate 
push. Right. I mean, every, these actresses, Instagram posts were almost all worded exactly the same as if they were told what to write and they were doing their friends a favor. And I think that is where it, like, it starts to get really icky, right? Because it it was clear, it was, it was a deliberate, it was a deliberate push. Right. Uh, And I, uh, you know, it's so hard. It's so subjective. Like, who, who knows who deserves an Oscar nomination, who doesn't? But I, it's not, it's just, it's just, it's not great. <laughs> well, and ultimately, like, what it comes down to is, like, I, universally, that performance has been, pre- I'm talking about um, Andrea Riseborough's, although the same thing could be said for the other performances as well, like, universally praised. And so, like, you don't want to, like, you don't want to set the precedent that, like. It's really not about Andrea or her performance. Right. All three of them are deserving of an Oscar nomination, right? right. Like they're brilliant. Um, it, it was really about how how it went down and the mechanisms of campaigning, and um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I'll give an answer. Who knows? Who knows how we should feel about that one? It's just kind of it's it's a very unique situation. But the fact that they investigated it is so unique, and I know that. Christina Ricci and a couple other people have come out and been like, you know, why it's a sham that they're investigating. And it's sort of a, it, it does set a, again, sort of a precedent of like, you know, are we, I think actors lifting other actors up is a good thing. It is. Totally. Um, but yeah, I guess, I, I don't know. Maybe there, there, maybe there is a little bit more going on here. Who knows? Who knows? We, we probably will never know is the thing. So it's like, I don't know. It's just a weird situation. This has just never really happened before. <laughs> Completely unrelated, but Andrea Riseborough is in it. I, oh, uh, over Christmas, watched Amsterdam, which never would I ever think that I would because I have a bone to pick with David O. Russell and mm-hmm. his terrible, very... Nit- very no good abusive behavior. And, um, and so I, I like, I wasn't going to pay money. Sure. I get that. <laughs> but I did watch it for free. And, oh God, you know what? I really enjoyed it. I'm so annoyed about that. Shall we talk Meryl? Yeah, let's talk Meryl. Before we get into the movie, there are a couple bits of, uh, a couple bits of news. Uh, one is that the film, I believe it's called, well, actually it's a mini series called extrapolations that she's doing for Apple TV um, is coming out, I believe it's March 17th that begins airing. I don't know if that one is going to do the things that they sometimes do where they drop all the episodes all at once or if it's weekly. Um, Apple TV is usually weekly. Weekly, okay. I guess I'm going to have to get Apple TV. This is just what I wanted to do, get another streaming service. Um, oh, wait. Before we talk about Meryl, have I... Have I talked about the English on here? No, I don't think so. Okay. Of the things I have seen, uh-huh. this is a number one, one of the greatest things ever. Okay. The English with Emily Blunt. I don't even know what it is. Oh, it is a, it's a limited series on, uh, I think it's on Prime. I'm looking it up here. It's a West, it is a Western, but it, and it is an homage to spaghetti Westerns, but 
Chaske Spencer plays her the lead opposite her. He's a Native American actor. He's very much a journeyman. He has like, you know, he has been horseback in any Western you could think of, right? He mm-hmm. was in Twilight. Like he he's he's just a working actor and he is stunning in this and the two of them are brilliant. Huh. Yeah, it does say it is. Um, by Hugo Blick and directed by Hugo Blick. And Blick or Blick? Blick, yeah, Blick. I won't lie, I've watched it like 10 times. Wow. And there's six yes. episodes, it looks like. Yes. Wow. It does have a very good rating on IMDb. Yeah, it does look like it's Prime. Okay, I'll check this out. I have Prime. <laughs> if, if you want to see inside my head... <laughs> <laughs> If, if you want to know what I might consider an almost perfect piece of entertainment, it's the English. Interesting. Okay. And now it's not, I, I, because I have watched it so many times, it's not perfect. It's not perfect script wise. There's continuity issues here and there. Like, like there's some story pieces that don't quite, you know, gel. Doesn't matter. It's perfect. Huh. Have you watched, um, speaking of Prime, this this led me because it was in the, like, if you liked this, you'll also like this thing on the website here. Um, have, it's another Prime series. Have you watched Chloe? You know? No, not yet. It's in my queue. Um, I think it, it, I think it's on Netflix. No, that's an Amazon. Well, may, unless it's on both. But for me, it was oh, on okay. Prime. Yeah. Um, yeah, Erin Doherty, who I thought was really a standout on The Crown. She just made me, I thought she was so funny on The Crown. Um, she's the lead in this. I really think she's interesting to watch, and she's the lead in this. I will admit I've only watched the first two or three. It's also, you know, Amazon Prime series tend to be shorter. This is also like six or seven episodes, I think. Um, so I can't it completely endorse it yet, but... Love it. I'll put it on my list. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. She just... She's so kind of... Uh, unique i've never really kind of seen an actress quite like her she kind of and it's probably just because of the english thing but she reminds me more of olivia coleman than anybody else um in in just that sort of like has a very very dry um way about her but also a a particularly kind of like funny and offbeat kind of approach that is Love it. Yeah, deadpan and, and kind of fun. So um, it's an interesting piece so far. I've not finished it, but um, yeah. Okay, well, cool. We'll, we'll yeah. each have yeah, a new... No, no. Yeah, we each have an Amazon Prime uh, assignment. task. Assignment, yes. Um, okay, yeah, so back, back to Meryl. Um, yeah, so extrapolations on Apple TV starting March 17th. We don't know. It's, it's an anthology series, so my assumption is that Meryl will be in one, maybe two episodes and not all of them. Um, it's a huge cast, uh, cherry, G- I'm, I'm, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going off of memory, but, um, uh, Matthew Reese and Carrie Russell, uh, Marion Cotillard, uh, Cherry Jones, I think, uh, Toby Maguire, lots, lots of great people are in this. So, um, and it has something to do, I believe with, um, with environmental issues, I believe is kind of front and center, but I don't know for sure. Right. I read that as well. Yeah. So we'll see. That's coming up the pike, but now it has a release date. Um, And then the big news, which I'm sure everybody knows by now because there was quite a social media uh, to do about this. They did it in a very creative way. I thought was Meryl is in the new season, which is filming of Only Murders in the Building. Mm -hmm. 
I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, I'm not through with season two yet, but I think this is probably a pretty perfect fit for her in a lot of ways. It's got like a tone um, that I think will suit Meryl very well. Um, I think there's a photograph wandering around Instagram. It must be on maybe Selena Gomez's Instagram of Steve Martin, Meryl Streep, Martin Short, Selena Gomez, Paul Rudd. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, like how many more delightful people can we get (laughs) in the photo? Did you, did you watch Selena Gomez's video about it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because Andrea Martin is there too. And I don't think she was in the photo. She, she's not in the photo, but she's in the video. Yeah, maybe she took maybe she took the photo or something. But I mean, I love Andrea Martin too, and so like you know, just that like pen, oh, Andrea Martin's amazing. Like it, it's just one of those things where like you're right, but also like who doesn't want to be on that show right now? Like I'm sure, I'm sure every one of their celebrity friends is asking for a guest spot, raising their hands. Me, yeah, me. There isn't yeah. there isn't anybody who doesn't want to do that one. It just looks. I mean, it's so much fun. So, um, yeah. So Meryl is, I like that she is just kind of going where the work is interesting to her. And she's like kind of doing these, I guess we don't know much about extrapolations. Maybe that's a bit heavier, but you know, like only murders in the building is just fun. It feels like she's just kind of doing the stuff that she wants to do at this point. Like don't look up was, I think the most recent thing, right? Like despite how you felt about it, that was probably a lot of fun for her, you know? I feel like rendition, which is what we're going to talk about. Her character in rendition is actually the precursor to her character in Don't Look Up. Don't it's you think the, so? It's the seedling. Yeah. Well, let's dive into rendition. And I don't know that we'll end up talking about it all that long, considering how little Meryl is in the film. But um, yeah, let's start with rendition. Uh, that is what we're here to discuss. This is a, a film of hers that I... I, I remember seeing in the theater. I know I saw it when it came out and maybe watched one time since then, but I don't, not, not that I remember. I mean, it might've been 2006 that I last saw this movie or whenever yeah. it came out. I saw it once until I just rewatched it for this. Yeah. 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 Same. Do we want to give a, a synopsis before we dive in too far? Sure. Um, uh, an Egyptian born man who was educated at NYU and lived in the United States for several years, married to an American woman, green card holder, travels to South Africa for an engineer's conference. And on his way home to DC to his wife, played by Reese Witherspoon, um, he is detained um, for suspected contact with terrorists. And they use extraordinary rendition and they fly him, um, they fly him to the Middle East. He obviously is not entitled to a phone call to a lawyer, his wife or anyone. He's subject to torture. They're trying to find out if he is connected to a terrorist attack that, um, um, a suicide bombing that happened. And Meryl Streep plays... Oh my God! Who does Meryl Streep play? She Kare- plays a lady in yeah. the government. Kareen Whitman. Kareen Whitman, um, who is—I mean, let's not beat around the bush. Clearly, a conservative politician who doesn't even hesitate to greenlight this man's extradition and subsequent torture. 
um, to try and get information out of him because she's based on the evidence on paper. It's clear that he's probably guilty right? or that it's connected somehow. And then Jake Gyllenhaal plays a young uh, CIA agent who is um, sort of attached to the circumstances is present for his torture and really becomes conflicted over the process because he sees that this guy probably doesn't know a thing and this torture is useless. Yeah. And um, ultimately the guy confesses, but he confesses nonsense. Like he gives the names of soccer players. So um, I won't give the ending away, but, but Jake Gyllenhaal has this whole journey where he, you know, decides this is wrong and decides to help. And then there's an entire, this movie's a little complicated yeah. and that there's an entire like B plot happening with the head of police. And I, I can't remember where he was being interrogated. Anyway, the head of police who is, who is, um, sort of leading the charge on this interrogation. Um, there's a subplot with his daughter who's fallen in love with the brother of, of an extremist and who, who has died. And so the, the brother is now also becoming an extremist. And these two plots sort of in, in, interweave. Yeah. It and is... obviously there's a whole other part where Reese Witherspoon is trying to find out what happened to her husband and going to you know, a, a friend played by Peter Sarsgaard who works for a senator played by <laughs> um, Alan Harkin. There's a lot of great people in that. Yeah. And yeah, thank you for doing that. I'm always grateful that you're willing to do the synopsis because there are certain films like this one where it's just, it's confusing. I have to tell you, every time that I do a plot synopsis, a little voice in my head says, oh man, we'll see if I can do it. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, I feel like I would get a lot of um actually emails uh, if I was doing that. We haven't gotten any for you, so. Well, that's good. Our listeners are so nice. Um, yeah, it's not the most straightforward piece. It's a very thinky piece, which, you know, later when we do a one-star review, I will mention that a lot. I mean, first of all, you can imagine there is a lot of common threads in terms of, oh, what a leftist propaganda piece kind of, you know, things that people say. Isn't it amazing to watch this movie now, though? This movie is mild. Yes. I love that anyone was like, this is left-wing propaganda. Right. I mean, it's a fairy tale. (laughs) It is a very nice fairy tale that is not even remotely representative of how bad it actually is. Right. Right. But at the time... I don't know if this was like super controversial necessarily, but I mean, I think it was during a period of time, it was during the Bush administration and there was a lot to do with torture during that administration because of the aftermaths of 9-11 and um, how people felt about torture. And this was not a movie that landed particularly well with either side, mostly because obviously the right didn't like it because they felt like it was an anti-American film, uh, you know, because they think anything is an anti-American film unless it's, you know, just a bunch of pro-military rah, rah, rah. It's, it's <laughs> always. Yeah. Yeah. If you know, everything is, everything is anti-America to them. And, um, uh, I think the left just sort of like 
we kind of didn't want to see this anymore. Like we were talking about it and thinking about it all the time that we just sort of felt like inundated with it at the time. And again, you're right that given what we've gone through in the last decade, it feels, it feels almost quaint, which is a really, really complicated onion to peel, right? Because this is some serious shit that goes down. And yet this feels like simple by today's standards. 100%. Like I, I, FYI spoilers. So if you haven't watched it and you want to, I'm about to talk about the end. Sure. Everyone move forward at your own. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Jake Gyllenhaal is a CIA agent, right? And he watches this guy get tortured and he's clearly conflicted about it. And he realizes that this guy knows nothing and he helps set him free and takes him to a boat, gets him back to the United States and his family. And of course, I'm sure his career is ruined. And I just thought, no, that would never happen. The psychological burden placed on people in positions like Jake Gyllenhaal's character, there's no, I'm just like, I'm sorry. Like, there's no way he rescued that guy. Right. And that guy didn't make it home to his family. That is a Hollywood fairy tale nonsense. And it made me so sad that that was my, that was my gut reaction to it. Like this would never happen. This poor man would have died in a prison in the Middle East, and his wife never would have seen him again, and no one would know what had happened to him. And I was like, oh man, Meryl, <laughs> turned into a cynical bitch over the last decade. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's fun, isn't it? Yeah, right. And it it it, it sort of it I I that was unsettling to me. Yeah. Did you find uh, this did you find this to be an effective film? No. That might be its age. Right. You know, and um I think the most effective pieces of it were actually Reese Witherspoon's portion that um that lack of control and knowledge or inability to get information, feeling like you're screaming at the top of your lungs in a room when no one's listening to you, um, the, the, the harm it causes and the, the ripple effect of that, that was the most effective part to me. Mm-hmm. And those elements where we, you know, when she, she would go, she went to her friend Peter Sarsgaard for help and, and played by Peter Sarsgaard. And, um, you know, it's like, I can help you so far, but if it gets too messy, I have to wash my hands of it. Um, that all still resonates with me. And obviously like the basic concepts are admirable. I think the film is trying to grapple with why extremism exists, Mm -hmm. how, how the system is perpetuating itself how how maybe the big picture ways in which our cultures are dealing with it is actually just entrenching the problem and then asking the question can you entrench the problem at this point after all of these years and and all of the generational trauma that's happened and the ideological differences so i think it's all trying it's and it and it and it does it well enough that I can understand what it's grappling with. I'm right. just not sure. It's almost like it was trying to grapple with these big concepts, 
but then also like satisfy Harvey Weinstein. And I, I don't know if Harvey was involved with this movie. I don't, I don't, I don't think he was, but I just mean like that Hollywood, you know, you gotta have a, a love story with a young couple and you gotta have, you know, you gotta have the good, the good American CIA agent who saves the day. Right. And there are these elements of the film that don't work. I also, I also feel like, I don't know, this isn't a particular, I don't know how I'm going to articulate this uh, clearly, actually, but, like, this isn't a movie that is going to change anybody's mind. No. And so there is a certain element of, like, what's the point here, kind of, um, you know, like, I think there are movies that aim to, like, challenge you. This one is not really that, because it's, like, it's pretty clear like what's right and wrong and like to me one of the most effective i do like meryl in this film i actually think all the actors are quite good you know at what they're doing um and i and i like meryl's performance in this quite a bit too i just first of all she doesn't have that much to do it's like I, i we've seen so many different shades of like villainy from her that like this is kind of like it could have been i really think that scene with like her and stellan's Scarsgar, where he Scarsgar, where he approaches her at a party, is really interesting. And this film, if there had been five more scenes, maybe not five, but you know, a few more scenes of her getting the opportunity to expand on it a little bit, as yeah. the counterpoint. And it's funny because, like you said, I like there in no world would I agree with Meryl Meryl's character's point of view, but I do think that point of view should have been articulated in a way that like we would like we would have some semblance of like what is the argument on the other side because her argument in that scene it's not it's it's very simple and it's very straightforward but what she's saying is like you know you are you're trying to get this one person released because you think that they're innocent i think you know they're guilty it seems as if there's a chance there's guilty and i'm thinking about i think she uses i can't remember if it's seven thousand or seventy thousand but you know she's talking about like if this person does something in i think she says london there is you know there is the the possibility that a lot of people die because of what this person might do so you can go and you can sleep well at night because you think you're saving this one person me, I've got grandkids in London that I'm thinking about, and I'm thinking of a much larger group of people. That's not hard to understand. It also isn't the kind of, like, it's also not articulated in a way that, like, makes me go to her point of view. Like, ultimately, you don't say, oh, you know what, torture is okay because the end justifies the means. It's not as simple as that. But that argument should have been a little bit more like this. There should have been something else there that made this a little bit more like substantial. I think, I think this is actually one of the rare times where uh, it's hard. We were so angry at the time at, at, at those who were taking her position. I'm sure she was one of them. I find the performance to be tapped into her sort of like villainous characterizations and not (laughs) like, it's very clear to me that Meryl Streep, the actress did not find common ground with this woman. Right. She did not believe 
a single word <laughs> coming out of her mouth, you know? Yeah. And so it's played with a level of brutality. And I think in reality, what's so fascinating about people who took that argument, which I get, was that they really, they really believed that they were doing good and saving lives, which they were possibly. Right. <laughs> um, but it's like that alone kept them so blinded to the harm that they were willing to do. I, I just, I wish it had been approached with more compassion because, because I think the gray area that you're talking about that, like, uh, the thing that puts us in conflict over the subject, right? It, it, I, I just think it would have been more interesting. I'm not yeah. articulating that very well either. But, um, and like you, like you said, I don't think coming from like coming from a place of more compassion or 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 believability, and perhaps maybe not a southern accent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it's not like I'm looking to be convinced that her point of view is right. Right. Just like everyone who took that takes that point of view really does believe they are right right if they didn't they would change their minds right so it didn't it didn't land realistically for me yeah and that's that's to me the ultimate kind of i don't want to say failing because there are things about this movie like this feels like a very middle of the pack kind of movie which is why it kind of like didn't really do much for anybody is because like you see it you it's kind of what we were talking about with avatar in a total well not really at all i guess because that's all about the visuals but like you, you see it and you kind of like digest it and like the next day it's gone kind of thing you know it's just sort of like again it's not it's not really it's not asking you to think it's just probably for pretty much anybody reinforcing their their own beliefs except for the few people who who don't agree with it and look at it and just get angry at the movie and also what's the point of that you know it's i don't know yeah 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 i think i mean i think you're it's not going to change anybody's mind on either side um but also i do think part of that is that it's been watered down right for all intents and purposes there's a fucking happy ending right and i'm like this no it's never this black and white right never this clean there i'm sorry there's never a cia agent who's gonna come rescue you and deliver you home right to suburban america and like i'm sorry when he got on american soil did nobody care right (laughs) i mean and that's where the real problem is right it's like it's like the real consequences of those choices are a possibly innocent man dying in a prison with his family not knowing and never knowing what happened to him right those are the consequences of those choices right and um and so it just it wasn't willing to go there right and it it's funny that it got the like cast that it got you know because it wasn't i mean i i don't think even at the time it was viewed as groundbreaking in any way it was just sort of like i don't know i guess we're kind of I'm making the same point repeatedly, so maybe I'll just move on. But it feels like <laughs> it. It feels like this is um, it just, and it's interesting too because that year she also did Lions for Lambs. She also did a movie called Dark Matter. It was kind of one of her darker years. Yeah. Um, but you know, a couple of political movies, which makes sense because again, hard to believe a decade before Trump. But I mean, like we thought George W. Bush was the devil 
then. You know what I mean? Like, we thought he was just as bad as it would ever be. Boy, were we naive. We had no clue what was coming. He's practically angelic. Yeah. It was just... It was simpler times in so, so, so many ways. And um, it just seems like this was an opportunity to speak out against that, which in and of itself, that is not, that is interesting and that is not a waste. But um, I don't know, it just could have been more effective, I feel. Um, how did you feel about, uh, we kind of touched on this a little bit. I, I quite liked Meryl's performance. She had a little bit of that, like, I, I don't know. I, I do think my favorite scene in the film is that scene with Stellan Skarsgård. I, I don't know why I'm tripping oh, over his name, yeah, yeah. but like Peter Skarsgård. Oh, Peter. I always get those two confused. Yeah. Stellan Alexander Peter, you know. There's a whole <laughs> bunch of them. Yeah. Whole, whole bunch of them. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite scenes too. And actually the, my other favorite my other favorite part is just a throwaway line. Okay. When she gets the call in her bedroom at two in the morning yeah. next to her husband. and her husband goes, it's 2 a.m. She's like, yep, they did it just to inconvenience, like a suicide bomb happened just to inconvenience you. Yeah. Like she said something along those lines, but it's the way she delivers it. Like it's just with such disgust <laughs> as she's going into her bathroom. I mean, listen, I, um, I love her performance in this as I do all of hers, right? Like, she's never not compelling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but seriously, like, the minute I heard that Southern accent, I was like, really? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Are we, um, how many days do you think she was on set for this one? Three? Maybe. Maybe, if that. Yeah. That that was the thing, is it feels like, yeah. Because there was the bedroom, there were a couple office scenes, there was that, like, hall, yeah, it's maybe a week. Yeah. It's, it's not that I could see, I could see the appeal at that point of signing on. But again, this is like right between like, you know, a couple of years before this is the devil wears Prada, which is a major thing. I think this is also right before I could be wrong, but I think this is right before Mamma Mia, which is another big thing. Like she didn't have to take roles like this either, you know? You know what I will say, like as a counterpoint to my own argument, there her ruthlessness is quite compelling, mm -hmm. right? Like when Reese Witherspoon comes up to her and is just like, you would have to be so stone cold with yourself and your choices to allow yourself, right? Like the wall that is up yeah. to tell this pleading pregnant woman can't help you. Sorry. Bye. Yeah. Oh, it's icy. This does not make, not that much does make like uh, becoming a politician look enticing but this absolutely does not make look you know it doesn't make it look like an appealing job i mean i think about that a lot like the decisions even the like politicians we think of as good whichever side you're on like they all have to do some stuff that like would be uncomfortable at the very least you know even if you're one of the good ones it's just it's it's a tough gig man God, it's so um, I have to, you're, you're probably going to want to edit this out. I have to look this up real quick because we were talking about politicians. Oh, George Santos. Oh, everybody's favorite right now. Is, he has claimed that he produced Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark on Broadway. One of the most and notorious flops in Broadway history. 
notorious pops. And it's not true. Right. As is anything, he says. My question is, why would you... Why would you pick one of the most notorious flops in Broadway history to stick your name on? He just, I mean, like, lying is, lying is as easy to him as, as speaking is. You know what I mean? Like, everything is a lie. But that's so funny. Yeah. It's like, just be a little, I mean, be a little more discerning in your lies, sir. Like, at least pick, pick a Tony winner. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's, it's. Listen, this is probably the least problematic thing about George Santos. Right, right. This is lie about Spider-Man, but... But it is representative of who he is. And you're right, there is a certain element of, like, when somebody is willing to lie about literally anything, and they're elevated in a, in such a way. I mean, it's... It is really shocking, and it's really, really deeply, deeply unsettling to me, and I'm sure to you, and I'm sure to most of our listeners, that this is where we're at. I mean, it's just wild to me that that somebody who lies about virtually every element, I mean, like, there, he's proven to be, uh, you know, completely untrustworthy by any, by any possible standard. And nothing is being done about it. Like, it's just, that's where we're at. It's, I don't understand how anybody can feel comfortable with that. But whatever. It's not a political podcast. Um, Despite my wishes that we would be. but (laughs) Sometimes. Sometimes we, we fade in. Oh, it's true. And uh, I mean, every day. I doubt too many of our listeners are, who are Merrill fans, are also super conservative. It's just a hunch. Yeah. I just, I love everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all have conservatives in our lives that we respect. It's not, but yeah, it's just, anyway. Um, anything else you want to say about this movie? I feel like I'm ready to move on. <laughs> no, I have to. I mean, wah, wah. Yeah. It's, it's too bad, but it's also sort of like inconsequential in the scheme of things. Um, I... I didn't find any particularly funny one-star reviews, but I did find one. If I can, um, if I can find the one, the, I, the one I thought I would read mentions Meryl Streep. Uh, the other ones didn't, so I thought I would just read the one that uh, mentions her because she was talking. It, in this one, it talked about she tried her best to save this movie. Okay, here it is. One of the worst films ever, and this was October 23rd, 2007, which is when the movie came out, was 2007. Okay, here here it is. This film is unnecessarily melodramatic, bashing the audience over the head with the message that rendition is terrible. This could have been a really smart, well-done challenge to the status quo, but instead, it creates an entirely black and white world in which no one deserves rendition, and it's always going to be the wrong person captured. In simplifying the message, it insults the viewers, the actors, and the topic... NATIONAL SECURITY, in all caps. Meryl Streep makes an attempt to salvage the piece unsuccessfully, but turns in a genuinely nuanced performance as the government director of the rendition program. When she discusses the strategy with Reese Witherspoon's slavering hyena, the character... Slavering a word? I think. I, know, I think she meant slathering, but... What? Yeah. Okay. okay, keep going. When she discusses the strategy with Reese Witherspoon's slavering hyena of a character, she sums up national security logic in roughly five seconds. The logic is not difficult. Having the stomach to accomplish the goal, that's harder, but should not be impossible. 
Don't waste your money on this trash, also in caps. So basically they're saying, yeah, this this person is arguing that, yes, sometimes we should be torturing people because the end justifies the means. That's what I get from that. Oh, yeah. It's like, this is black and white where no one deserves rendition. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no one. <laughs> and... It, the funny thing is, like, I, I wonder if now, because, you know, Meryl, as you know, um, has been, like, maligned as, like, one of the leftist elites, you know, because of all the Trump stuff that, like, it's kind of funny that they singled her out as, you know, a genuinely nuanced performance. Because now it would be leftist, socialist Meryl Streep, you know, like, it would turn into some, like, nasty thing against her. But because she played that character in this film, they did, they just, you know... Oh, well, she had a genuinely nuanced performance, which I'm not saying she didn't, but Reese Witherspoon is a slavering hyena because she wants her fucking husband back? Like, Jesus. What? She gives a great performance. That is wild. I just, I love, you know what? It kind of, I had a client once call me a, um, call me a shrieking banshee. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Which was wild because I was literally just telling him what he needed to show. <laughs> but it's like it's very interesting to to like it's a very particular breed of insult when somebody accuses you of screaming or being shrill right you know when you know you're not right so it doesn't quite land but it's also like it's a weird bizarre insult is this yeah they of all the insults it's like very particularly directed at women <laughs> oh that's the most sexist i mean that is 100 percent. yeah it's crazy um i i have not put this on my list yet have you no i haven't it's not gonna be very high up i don't think it will be for me either although i genuinely like her performance and i don't hate this movie i feel like this is one unlike marvin's no. room where we only said good things and didn't say any bad things like i liked i mean i i didn't have a terrible time watching this movie it's just at the end of the day, it just doesn't feel like a particularly, um, like... You just don't really feel anything. Right, yeah. Which really, I mean, a man gets, like, essentially kidnapped, extradited, tortured. Yeah. You know, like, a lot happens. A, a lot of big, like, several people die, and characters you're invested in die, and you think it just should land better than it is for whatever reason and i'm you know it could have been that the shooting script was really solid and that you know the editing process right. kind of watered down or you know we just who knows because it is a great cast and and everybody's uh, doing solid work great track record with the filmmaker and writer and yeah they just don't sometimes they just don't work and there's like something in it that's the way it is but well, let's move on to our other segments. Uh, would you rather do Six Degrees or Movies We Wish Meryl Was In? Let's do Six Degrees. Okay. Our person was Jennifer Connelly. Can you do it? And Top Gun Maverick was off the table. I haven't thought about this in advance. Right. So we're doing this on the spot. I can do it in four. Okay. Jennifer Connelly, Inventing the Abbots with Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix in Parenthood with Diane Weist. Diane Weist and Meryl Streep and what, what's it called? Uh, what, so, Let Them All wait. Talk. Let Them All Talk. I was going to say something to talk about. Nope, different movie. <laughs> <laughs> Our closer connection is Joaquin. Has Joaquin ever done anything with? With Meryl, no. 
No, there is, there's a couple. Billy Crudup? With what? Billy Crudup? Billy Crudup sounds like he could have been in something with her, but nothing comes to mind. Um, how about if I, if I give you a, a hint, what did she win her Oscar for? Jennifer Con- Oh, Beautiful Mind. Yeah. Russell, was she in a movie with Russell Crowe? Not Russell Crowe. Who else was in that movie? Paul Bettany? No. Who? Ed Harris. Who Ed Harris is in A Beautiful Mind. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> yeah, he plays that, like, mysterious... Uh, the Hours. The Hours, yeah. Oh, uh, also, Jennifer Connelly is in Top Gun with Tom Cruise, who's in Lions for Lambs. Right. That one's off the table, though. We can't do that. And oh, actually, all right. You took it off it. <laughs> ironically, Ed Harris is also in Top Gun Maverick, actually. But, oh, yeah. Um, he actually... And actually, I believe Jennifer Connelly was also in Pollock, which Ed Harris directed as oh. well as was in i could be wrong about that um there are there are a few more connections too i mean jennifer conley has been in enough stuff at this point you know what i mean that like yeah. they've they've crossed paths with a lot of the same people but um yeah that was the first place my mind went was ed harris um i think there are a few others none of which are coming to me in this particular moment but i don't know i love it I'm sure there's some others via inventing the habits. There were so many people in that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I thought of a couple good ones actually. It's gonna maybe I'll maybe I'll pull her up quick while we're getting to our, our next thing here. Um do do you have anything in mind by chance for movies you wish Meryl was in? I don't. I loved your idea for Tar though. Yeah, that's a big one for me. Um Yeah. I I thought of one um that I'm I'm real curious to see what your reaction is going to be. Now, this is one of those, like, asterisk by it because I need to change a few variables around it. Okay. But I watched... There was a little bit towards the end of last year, like November and December, there I saw several articles about how it was, I believe, the 30th anniversary of A Few Good Men, and I ended up re-watching that, which I hadn't watched in a long time. There's, There's no reason... Like, there isn't real, like, there's kind of, like, suggestions of, like, a dating thing between Tom Cruise and Demi Moore, but there's no reason Meryl Streep, especially in 1992, when she would have been, you know, like, maybe, what, 40? Maybe 40? Like, late 30s. Like, there would have been a decade, you know, separating her and Tom Cruise, but it wouldn't have been absurd. Would have been so good. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. And it, okay, see, I didn't think you were going to have that reaction. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny because I, at the whole like first hour, maybe even more of that movie, I was like, how did they get Demi Moore to do this? Like, she gets nothing to do in that first hour of that movie. I mean, like, nothing. And then she has that one great scene where she basically, you know, like, he, he ends up like chasing her down or something in the car, I forget. But yeah. Um, the whole scene leading up to that is kind of a lengthy scene. Um, and from that point on, she has a little bit more to do. But, okay, you had a good reaction to that. I thought you were going to be like, oh, you're crazy. <laughs> no, no, I am 100% on board. Because, you know, that started out as a play as well. Right. And it, it's got the meat of it, right? Like, you just like, oh, you just, oh, she would have been excellent. I um, uh, just related to that. I, I heard on a podcast somebody say that Rob Reiner doesn't get enough credit as a director. And the more I started thinking about it, the more I realized how true that is. If you think about it, he has really made some of the most iconic films in multiple genres because dramas like a few good men and stand by me. There are others. 
comedies like When Harry Met Harry Sally. Um, there are others that he did. Uh, Spinal Tap, did he direct that? Yeah, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. Spinal Tap. Um, horror movies like Misery. Um, oh God, I forgot about Misery. <laughs> a, a Princess Bride? Like. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I, I mean, he's a national treasure. National treasure. It's funny because, like, he had such a run. I mean, like, everything he did in that, like, you know, from 84 or whatever through, like, late 90s. And then, like, since then, it's been pretty... Like, he's he's put out some not great content in the meantime. And so I think, like, that's one of the things that, like, he doesn't get enough credit. Because he's also had some not great films. Um, yeah. But, like, he really doesn't get enough credit for, like, the work that he did do in terms of, like, really establishing. I feel like I'm even missing a big one, but... Um, it's sort of fascinating how often I quote his films. I'm not a big movie quoter. I tend to not remember dialogue like that. But mm-hmm. and maybe because I I grew up watching those movies the most. But even the ones I can't quote, like I ca- I cannot quote Princess Bride. I, I love it. I am not obsessed with it at the level that everyone else is. But like these movies are so they're so ingrained in our culture yeah. cultural memory. Yeah. Um, as I'm going through uh, Jennifer Connelly right here, there are a few that I knew I had forgotten um, several. And these ones I thought of over time and I had just kind of forgotten. Um, I'm not particularly focused right now, I guess. Only the Brave, which Jeff Bridges was in. They did The Giver together. Um, Noah. Oh, yeah. Noah she did with Emma Watson, who was in Little Women. Um, what else? There was one just down here. Um, Blood Diamond. She was in with Leonardo DiCaprio, who did both Marvin's Room and Don't Look Up. There are a few others as well, but she's, you know, there's there's a number of um, options. Dark City, I feel like somebody else was in Dark City, that, but um, William <laughs> William Hurt was in Dark City with her. William Hurt is in okay. uh, One True Thing. Anyway, there's a bunch. There's a lot. If we kept going, we could find, I'm oh. sure, ten more, but... Um, just in case that, you know, caused anybody to kind of clench their teeth because we were missing really <laughs> obvious ones. <laughs> uh, you know. We didn't say who our next Six Degrees person is either, by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah it, I, I loved your pick because it's so random. <laughs> we're doing Christopher Lloyd. I'm a big, t- I'm a big Back to the Future person. And um, I don't think you there's... A... Have I ever told you that my cousin's in Back to the Future? W- w- no. Who does your cousin play? You probably have so some point over the years. My, it's my dad. My my dad's cousins were all stuntmen. They, oh, yeah. they grew up ranching, rodeoing, and so they were. They they got into stunts, and they ended up. They did stunt work for Sylvester Stallone, and they're in several westerns. They're in um, uh, Three Amigos. Oh, nice. With Martin Martin, yeah. yeah, and um. um uh, one of them, he's the he's the terrorist driving the bus in the parking lot. Oh, that's I yeah. know I can picture that person in my brain. Like I know I've yes. seen that movie a million times. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. He is also in the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He's wow. the no, he's playing. He is not Native American, but he's playing one with the red bandana. Sure. I think the character's name is half breed, which is wildly yeah. offensive. But yeah, yeah. Wow. That, yeah, those yeah. are that, those are significant I know, I credits. Little, I got some history. I got some. I got some cool fam. Those are significant credits. Those are legit. Yeah. 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 yeah they're cool. 
Cool. They're cool. That's exciting. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, we'll be back as soon as we can. Uh, we're making a plan for what our next movie is going to be. Um, it might be a tribute. We haven't really talked. But we'll, uh, we'll figure out what we're going to do next. And we'll let you know soon. Thanks, everybody. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. That's all.